This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 26 of Your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, we have another installment of Conspiracy Chit Chat, where you, the listeners, jump on board to discuss everything from conspiracy to politics, current events, and everything in between. Today, I'm joined by a fellow Aussie, a listener from up north, a banana-bending, rugby-watching, New South Wales-touching Queenslander, someone I've been talking to for quite a while now. A bloke I'd consider a mate. Let us welcome Wade. Welcome, Wade. Drew, thanks for having me, mate. That um, introduction, fantastic. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. It's uh, definitely coming into winter down here. And I'm not looking forward to it, that's for sure. Yeah, mate, we've had a a few cold days up here in recent times. Um, Cold is a relative term compared to... (laughs) <laughs> the Melburnians that I know, but um, put it this way, I have had to wear a jumper for a couple of days. Oh, you're so hard done by, mate. I know, I know. It's, it's tough. It is tough. You'd just about freeze to death up there, wouldn't you, after a couple of days? Well, mate, come 10 o'clock, I can take the uh, take the jumper off, so I'm pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's actually really interesting hearing your voice, right? Because we've been talking via um, social media, just sending messages to each other. Seems to be a couple of days a week the last little while now anyway and I've always imagined your accent and I never realized how different Australian accents were until I went on a Kentucky tour when I was 21 always thought the Victorians and the Southerners sounded a little bit more sophisticated and it was people up top end like you guys that sounded like Bogans but I've got to say it's the other way around mate you're funny there because for a couple of years I lived down in, in Wollongong and a lot of my friends down there I'd never sort of really noticed, but there's there is definitely an accent where, and I find it even through Melbourne, New South Wales, it's the pool. Queenslanders, you know, our how we say it is is very different. Like we're more of a, you know, I'm I'm going, I'm literally going to the pool where we sound those double O's out. Where New South Wales, I found all my friends. Uh, go, you know, they're going to the pool. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys saying? <laughs> and and I, I, I never picked up on it until uh, a friend from up north said, "Holy, have you worked out them New South Wales lingo?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And they pointed it out, and at that point, it was like, "Oh shit, yeah, you weren't kidding." So <laughs> it's, it's quite funny because when we go from state to state and we talk to different people. 
don't actually realise that it exists because we think whilst Australia's a big country, it's small population. Yeah, it's not as... um... Like in the UK, there's more accents within the UK than there are across most of the world. And you go to the States and, you know, there's naturally different accents based on what regions you go to. Australia, you just think everyone's knows you got the same stupid accent, right? But it really differs. Even people from South Australia sound really English in comparison to everyone else. Oh, you, you're spot on. Absolutely correct. And it's, it is quite drastic when you actually take the time to listen closely. Like the, the, the pool thing. And then when you go, yeah, cool, tool, it's literally, it's very, very vast. And unless you genuinely closely listen to it, you wouldn't know it existed. No, it was, uh, it was shocking when I was on that Kentucky tour as the only Victorian surrounded by West Australians, Queenslanders and New South Welshmen. And I sounded like the drunkest dead set bogan I've ever possibly heard. It was groundbreaking and shocking all at once. Better to sound the drunkest than be the drunkest, though, right? <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> that's a that's uh, a better that's a better way to look at it, mate. Has to be. I think it's uh, Victorians. We've definitely got this this more of a drawn out, harsher accent. I think because we've got a lot of Irish and Scotch ancestry going on down here compared to up north. Yeah, I would agree to that, mate. And up up north, we tend to do a lot more dumber shit. So <laughs> that kind of gets into our accent and our, you know, our speech. So, which, which is, is kind of fun. It's kind of fun when you put that aspect together with different people. <laughs> All right, Wade, what are we talking about tonight? Apart from <laughs> Victorian and Queensland vernaculars and accent and cadence and tone, what's going on? What's well, mate, you, you and I have spoken, messaged at length for Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, months even, about real concerns, real problems in everyday Australia that affects the world, us, and ourselves. You know, it's the climate change bullshit. It's the, you know, the replaceable society stuff we spoke about a couple of days ago. Every part of society is becoming, for lack of a better word, fraudulent. So, you know, whether you, um, whether you have an aspect of a job that is, you know, I know you're a teacher, the curriculums that we face, and I know the ones that we face for my daughter, they're becoming fraudulent. You only have to look at what's going on and you go, mate, if that was me at school, my parents would flip their shit if they were teaching us that. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that's the... That's what a lot of people just don't understand these days. And you only know it if you're in it. If you're a teacher, you see what's happening. And we often say to each other in the staff room or quietly off to the side to each other that if families really knew what was in our curriculum, they'd flip out because it was so foreign to what we were even taught. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, that's just one small portion. Um you know, and you take it a step further in my job, I, I deal in mining um, and with all this climate change going on, I've sent you a couple of articles over the last couple of weeks where the environmental minister has actually approved new mines. Yet we all sit there and hear the Labor Party are for renewables, for green energy, yet they keep coming back to the same thing where mining is good. So 
mining being good, why are they also so against it in public that they want mining to slow down and bring in the renewables while still promoting mining on the back end without telling anyone? It seems that they're double dipping. Yeah, it's a self-defeating system if it's you're thinking it logically. Now, for the American listeners and those overseas, our Labor Party is our left-wing. Traditionally, it's been the working man's party in Australia. It was all the blue-collar workers, those people who worked in industry and trades, they would vote Labor. So you've got this history of the Labor Party backing the workers, backing, even to a degree, big business, because big business employs these workers, right? They just wanted better outcomes for them. But in the past 20 years, you've seen Labor go really green, um, where the communist watermelon Greens Party kind of infiltrated their way into it. And like Wade said, we've got this situation going on where the green agenda is being pushed, that 2030 type of crap. At the same time as they're trying to make everything renewable and clean, they're actively behind closed doors signing deals to keep mines open or opening up brand new mines and it just doesn't make the headlines in the news that you think people would be talking about. Yeah, you, you're spot on, mate. And, you know, you and I spoke and, and I have always said to anyone, I'm not against renewables. It's a scalability factor. You can't build a solar farm big enough to power, um, let's say, Victoria, because people generally have an idea of the size of Victoria. You can't build a solar farm big enough to power that state completely independent of uh, baseload coal-fired power. It's the the physical size of it basically would take up nearly all of Australia to power that completely independent. Now, if you were to look at um, your house in particular, there's technologies on the market that can take your house completely off the grid and not be dependent on baseload power at all. They're not expensive. They're simple to do. You just have to be able to get them and put them on, and away you go. So if you look at that aspect, if you were to take in Victoria, if you were to take a million homes off the grid, right? Let's let's talk, you know, suburban, urban homes. That's a massive chunk off the grid that the infrastructure doesn't have to be upgraded, you're then not having to build solar farms and wind farms to upgrade people's um, scope and power. If you take those little um, things off the, the grid, we've saved a massive chunk. So then you're, you're, you're not spending all this money on the renewables. If they were to, if you think of how much we've spent on renewables, uh, so one of the wind farms up in Queensland here, the Clark Creek, is about a $2.4, $2.8 billion wind farm. $2.8 billion, say it costs you, let's go 20 grand for argument's sake, to take your house off the grid. Do you know how many houses that can do if the government spent that $2.7, $2.4 billion to do that? You've you've gone small scale. You've sold the problem. You've sold the problem with smaller chunks, instead of instead of coming up with a global solution to a local problem, you you then have taken all these homes off. You then control your power. You don't have a power bill anymore. 
and you can grow that power as much as you want. You can add batteries to it. You can add more turbines. You can do all sorts of things. You can take your system off the grid. That then, if you could take 10 million homes off the grid down the eastern seaboard, well, baseload power becomes cheap for inner cities, for buildings, for facilities like the MCG, things like that you are not then having to load shed in places because we don't have the input coming in at that very moment. It's so, a so, so, what, so what's what's the I think we both have the the right <laughs> idea of why this isn't happening, but for the people who may not know, why do you think these things aren't mainstream, well known and endorsed by the government? Why don't you think these things are happening? If the potential is there, like you said, to have the majority of the grid self-sustaining so people aren't reliant on baseload from power, you know, in theory, that's that's great because we're getting rid of uh, excess coal burning, right? We're not we're achieving what the Greens and um, the Agenda 2030 want to achieve. We're removing coal from and carbon from the atmosphere. So why aren't these technologies being put in place and and promoted? That's a very good question because if you look at, there was, I don't know, let's say, I think it was probably about 10 years ago, there was this mad push from governments giving feed-in tariffs back to people to put solar on their homes, right? Um, people were getting, you know, 40, 50 cents per kilowatt hour pushed, put back into the grid. They were making money on their power. Now, at my house, I get less than 5 cents per kilowatt hour of a feed-in tariff. So I don't, solar's almost negligible. I don't, I don't have an answer for that, Drew, because people can find this stuff themselves on their own, whether it's because they don't want to look um, or it's not in their wheelhouse. Um, you know, I'm in that kind of electrical field where we look at things like that. So that's a bit different. Like my parents and brother and whatnot, they don't even look for this sort of stuff, yet they're in an area where they could be completely self-sufficient from water, from power, and just have town um, town sewage. So they could be independent of that, but they've never looked. So could it be a case of unwitting ignorance then? Because, you know, if you're listening to the mainstream narrative and, you, and what's being put out by media that, you know, solar power is the way to go, but it's never promoted by or spoken about as a self made grid like if you got battery storage or just taking the house off the grid entirely that's never really spoken about as an option so is it the possibility of because it's not being spoken about it's just not in the public's thought yeah i think you could be right there because if you look at a lot of what um you see from our governments across um you know mainstream news and radio and whatnot it's yeah you know they're always say they're investing so much money into our renewables they're investing all into our future. They're investing this. Well, I don't see why people are looking at that going, hang on, I didn't I didn't say you could go and spend $2.7 billion on this wind farm that's only going to power, you know, a 1,000 homes or tip in 3% of the state's power for the, the day. You know, if you were to give me that $20,000 per house, well, mate, I could run my entire house in, you know, on the Gold Coast, completely independent of the grid. 
it, it's it's not, and it's not a it's not anything that's out there that's that's special equipment. There's there's small wind turbines for your home. There's your solar, your battery. Um, these are, are technologies that are out there on the smaller scale than what the governments are telling us. They're putting in out in the back of Chinchilla in Western Queensland or up in in you know near Rockhampton. They're taking up so much vast land that stops a whole host of things on the back end because you can never go and live in that area where there's wind farms. The solar farms take up kilometres squared of area that vegetation can never grow, people can never live there, and that vegetation stops what what they're trying to achieve where you can't have trees there, which trees eat carbon, trees breathe carbon. So I think I think it's probably a bit of both, mate, where people are getting bamboozled with bullshit, which we've seen for decades by the, the governments and the media, and it's simply easier because people have so many real things they're dealing with in their own life that the last thing on their mind is whilst power bills are, oh, Jesus Christ, power's dear this month, it's still easy than going, okay, well, let's cut back on spending this month so we can pay our power instead of going, hang on, how can I remove myself from that grid? And I, th- I think it's just a combination of both, mate. And I, I try and give people a bit more credit than you would probably seen from them over decades and centuries. But with the way the world's going and how much pressure there's being heaped on households, the last thing they think of is how can they take themselves off the grid? It's how can I put food on my table? How can I pay my power? How can I pay my rent? Yeah, so I, but- think it's, I think it's to the point that it's been pushed that far back. It's not at the forefront, so they don't openly think of different ways. Yeah, generating your own power for your household is definitely a, a big picture thing opposed to what, you know, having food on the table and, and paying your electricity bill and getting your kids to, to school on time and filling the car with fuel, those are more pressing priorities. I tend to come at it from a a bit more of a conspiratorial lens where I think it's almost like a Venn diagram with three circles, right? And they all intersect into the middle where, like we've said, it can be just ignorance of the public not knowing about it because it's not within the public sphere of knowledge and it's not being spoken about. It could be governments um, being really piss poor at their job and wasting money and spending on these big projects that long-term and large-scale are a waste. And then there's that third one, which is a bit more nefarious, where they're deliberately doing aspects of this to sabotage the energy system and sabotage society in general. And it's really interesting. I need to send you a link for this, that there's been studies done worldwide where these wind farms are and where these wind farms are located, there's a increase in the percentage of droughts happening in those in those areas, which traditionally were never there. So for whatever reason, these turbine power um, producing areas where they put all these bloody wind turbines up, and it's not only is it an eyesore, it has the potential to create like a mini ecosystem in the area and creating drought. Now, whether that's going to be conclusively proven long-term or not, it's interesting that, that those types of studies are, are suggesting that at least, which would lend me more to that that third sphere of there being other reasons behind the mass failure of the, the energy grid. Mate, I think, you're, I think you're spot on there. Um, you know, you, you've tipped a lot of the bits and pieces that look at it. Um, when talking about the power grid and real life things like that, 
people tend to not look at it, look at it from a conspiratorial angle, which you know both you and I do all the time, because it becomes a little bit ah, that's a bit far fetched. But those things are very real. So if if you know for years we've we've always seen it in the last three in particular the control structures and mechanisms that have gone in place for people to simply follow what the government says, that would lend itself to, okay, we're creating a power grid that, hey, if you're not a good citizen, we're going to stop power coming to you. And some of the some of the big wind farms throughout Queensland and big solar farms are in places where there is no real vegetation or anything grows. It's, uh, you know, the central west corridor. Perfect place to put things like that. It, it really is because their people don't live there. They're far away from everything. There's sparse land and no real, um, when I say beneficial, it's more trees and shrubs that grow there. Now, part of what people don't understand is it's part of every wind turbine is a generator. That has to be taken into consideration to get the turbines moving when they need to. So where's the environmental aspect of that when you still have to have a diesel generator to run it? Yeah, there's often times where <laughs> it actually consumes more power and produces more carbon emissions, air quote, to get the thing going and spinning on low wind days and from whatever it can produce. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And, and one of the things um, that I talk to a lot of people about now, there's a book by a guy, Alex Epstein, uh, Fossil Future, it's called. Now, I haven't read the book, but I follow Alex quite closely. His take on it is is quite um, quite unique, where all you ever hear from governments and people around the energy grid is and fossil fuels is that it's bad. Well, in anything, there's a bad, there's a good. So Alex's take on it is um, what are the benefits that we've received from fossil fuels over the years? You know, we, we look at our clothing. We look at our houses. You know, if you look at it from, a, okay, fossil fuels may be bad. No one can actually say yes or no that they aren't. But you can look at it from, okay, well, fossil fuels in some parts, we can unequivocally say they're bad. They're bad if this happens. But fossil fuels allow you to have a car built. They allow your they allow your kids' shoes to go to school. So you look at places uh, across the globe that don't have access to what we in Western society have as a fossil economy, well... You just have to look. Some of those kids over in Eastern Africa, they don't have shoes, mate. So when people keep continually logging fossil fuels, fossil fuels are always going to play a part. We just need to, to start looking at them differently and not being victimised by people telling that it's fossil fuels are bad. Yes, well, look, this is the thing that I always get to, and it's without something as simple as gas, the industrial revolution would never have happened. Oh, without well, the, the industry that built everything that we have today, the science, like do you think a centrifuge um, or any number of medical marvels, <laughs> the actual good ones that don't kill people, yeah. if, would, any of those would exist today if it wasn't for the industrial revolution? 
No, we'd be sitting in our hi- our houses, freezing our asses off, burning coal in the fire with no electricity, and our life expectancy would most likely be 20 years less. So oh, you have to sure. take the good with the bad, like you said. Yeah, fossil fuels, they can be dirty to a degree. They may not be the best for the environment in the current ways in which we use it, but the benefits far outweigh the, the downsides to it in every aspect. Oh, without a doubt. You, you, you talk about the, the medical fraternity. You've got an MRI machine. We, we can't make that without fossil fuels. You know, yeah. we, we, there's a, bl- a, a blacksmith's not going to bang one together out the back, is he? Exactly right, mate. Exactly. So, and you look at all of these renewables require this fossil fuel to help build. So you, you have, you know, there's protests all over the world about the fossil fuels and the environment and all this sort of crap. They they will not allow a discussion, a civil discussion with for people to say, hey, listen, I get where you're coming from and I think they could be done better too. But do you realise for you to get to this spot where you protest, you actually drove a car, you organised it on your phone, you know, your laptop, instead of, you know, we all sit there and we attack the protesters. And I've been caught up in it too and they're just idiots at times. But the reverse of that is true where the people who are trying to say, mate, listen, you, you're fucking up my day. I get where you're coming from, but can we sit down and have a conversation and come to a common ground where we go, righto, we know what we've got to fix on your side, but we know what's good from, from my angle. There's your common common ground. And unfortunately, society in all aspects has been driven to that extremes. It's, it's that division, the team politics. You can't find common ground because people have been so boxed into their teams or their sides even if it's something they do agree with, if it's this one little aspect that the person differs on, you can't speak to them or it's that cognitive distance where people shut down. And this is my concern that comes out of this. I think it's a major challenge for the West and particularly Australia, as we've only got one nuclear power station in the country. And we're never going to take that on board. It's just not on the cards with the way that we've got the left and the greens in this country that it's setting up the system to fail in such a, such a massive way that I think it's bringing about a fourth turning where we're going to see the West turn into a third world type of a society economically. And we're going to see the East, particularly Southeast Asia and possibly even Africa boom in the next 20 years. And I think this is all coming about through these, these green agendas and initiatives. And I'll give you an example. In Victoria, we've got a scheme where the government will, uh, pay for X amount of a, an electric split system for your house to heat your house. But the downside to that is they cut your, your gas off. They disconnect your gas from the house. There's been so many teachers I work with who have signed up for this incentive to get a brand new split system put in their house. That's going to be perfect. It'll cool my house in summer, heat the house in winter. But then they realize their gas has been cut off. And they go, well, hang on, my little gas heater, that would warm my house up in about 10 minutes. Perfect. And I've got a, a gas stove, so now I have to go get an electric stove. Well, what happens when the majority of gas has been phased out and all you have is this electric grid, which is now totally reliant on mostly renewables, which we know we don't have the scale to power everything, what's going to come out of it? Mass blackouts. We're going to see times where a Western first world country will be experiencing times of no power 
like what we're starting to see in parts of America, such as California, they have regular blackouts to the point where you think it's a third world nation. Mate, that's very interesting. I, I did not know that that um, your commie government did that. That's that's bullshit. That's that's phenomenally bad. But you you're right. It, it seems to be they're providing um, providing options to push to the grid system that that, that they want because it's easier to you know mechanize and control. Um, you know, you look at, um, you know, I'm a refrigeration mechanic by trade. So split system air conditioners done properly, the most efficient ways to heat and cool your home, right? They're not, they're not so cheap up front all the time, but done right. Well, you know, sized right, everything's done right. You're, you're going to have the most effective outcome from it, but taking one away because of the other, that's criminal. Yeah, it's a part of this. They're phasing out like a lot of the new builds um, post-2025 aren't allowed to have um, natural gas anymore. Everything has to be electric. So much to the point that we discussed this in a, a chat earlier in the week that in my area in the, in the Valley, there's the Commonwealth Games coming up in 2026. Well, they're building this village for all the athletes that are coming, right? And they pitched that this little village was going to be great because it would be uh, public housing afterwards and that would be fantastic for the housing shortage. Yeah, that's great. But they neglected to mention that there's not going to be any water or gas running into these houses and it's just going to be electricity. So we're going to be housing international athletes in little bungalow houses with no running water, with just electricity. And post-Commonwealth Games, they're going to be bulldozed now. So they're spending millions upon millions of dollars building this village only to destroy it later on. That that those those bits of information I've literally after we spoke about it, I've seen them come out in mainstream news. And how people aren't up in arms about it. And, you know, with the budget that, that dictator Dan's handed down and with all the crap that's come with it, how is Melbourne not up in arms going, right, where is this guy? I'm going to lynch him. They're just letting him go. You know, he's going, he's going to bankrupt your state. You'll be left funding it. Your kids will be left funding, you know, for the rest of their lives. Why are people not up in arms about this? It's, unfor- it's unfortunate that I think the majority of Victoria, and as a regional Victorian who's traditionally voted nationals and, and country-based, the majority of this state is left-wing, but it's not a traditional left-wing anymore. You speak to all the the old-timers and the tradies, they still vote Labor based on they think it's going to mean jobs for their grandkids. But these jobs and these professions, they're being phased out through the green agenda and everything's going full-blown socialist. So if you've got this socialist government which just spends, 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 you've kind of addicted an entire generation of young people thinking that the government's going to pay for everything and they don't actually have to dig their heels in and work hard for once. It's created a generation of gimme people. They want the gimmies. They're not going to do anything off their own backs. And it's very noticeable in Melbourne that they hold a, a Marxist conference every year. Like they held a, a Marxist conference within the same week as those air quotes Nazis were throwing out the Roman salute. But which one got the press? Yeah, that's that's crazy. And, you know, you have you have that sort of everywhere. I mean, Queensland at the minute, if... If I'm if I'm honest, 
uh, and I think I've told you this before, our Premier is, she's just on a gravy train at the minute. She's just taken everything she can get. There's an election coming up, I think it's next year maybe, where I haven't met a person yet and, you know, bear in mind there could be some echo chamber involved in it, but I haven't met a person yet who is going to vote for Labor. Now, I can see coming she will she will adopt a similar strategy that Ardern did in New Zealand and jump before she was pushed and let her little beta cuck hand me down, take the reins, for when the next election comes, he's going to get railroaded. It's it's almost a carbon copy in Queensland with the same people. It, it's they're almost frigging characters where She's done so much damage to the state and the reputation. We don't we don't have such a left wing um, bias across Queensland. It's more the uh, inner city Brisbane because even Gold Coast itself is not left wing. You have left wing pockets, but when you talk to most people, they'd simply say "fuck these guys." And you know. You know my penchant for hatred for the government. It's it's <laughs> it's not very hidden. I um I flaunt that quite proudly, but the amount of people that I've seen turn around and go, we've got to get rid of her. And I'm like, when have you ever taken a notice in politics? And they're now starting to go, we need to get rid of her, but we don't know if we want the other guy in. So we're getting a lot more of a spread of that political sphere across independence, um, you know, smaller parties. But uh, I, I struggle to see how the Labor Party in Queensland hold on to hold on to power at the next election simply because they've done such a shit house job through COVID. Even people that were pro-COVID have gone, oh gee, she fucked that right up. Our hospitals are an absolute shit show. We now have um, hospitals on the Gold Coast housing patients at SeaWorld Hotel Resort after having um, a, a pelvis. Um, I've got a broken pelvis and they, they fixed his pelvis and, okay, he's not critical anymore. Let's put him at this hotel where they've got, a, a you know, bits and pieces set up with nurses 24-7 and a doctor once a day. How is that a great hospital system? It, it's, it just baffles the mind that that's where it's got to and people are now starting to go, hey, that's, that's bullshit, mate. We can't have that. Yeah, well, I don't know what about you guys up north, but we've had that many code reds called on ambulances um, and that many nights where they're banked up with ramping that people were sitting on beds in hallways or staying in the ambulance itself for five to six hours outside a hospital because they couldn't get a bed. And it's not a case of the physical beds aren't there. They don't have the nurses to man these hospitals anymore. So we're seeing the, the not just the energy industry, we're seeing the medical system start to implode and... It's, I find it quite ironic that in Victoria, where our dictator Dan promised 4,000 new hospital beds with this shit show of a budget he's put out for the state, that he's actually getting rid of 4,000 public service workers. Just so happens to be the exact same number. That was the 4,000 beds from his $4 billion, wasn't it? Exactly. That's right. He couldn't afford that. Yeah. And it's um, it's a really strange time to be alive. And like you said, these these government leaders that seem to cock up so massively, they all follow that one that one trend of 
I'll step down before my time's up so no one can really hold me accountable. I'll palm it off to the to the Patsy and I'll go off and I'll disappear. Like Ardern's got a job with um the World Economic <laughs> Forum and and the Who and all these other side gigs where she's gonna make money for the rest of her life off. But we're hearing rumors in Victoria that Dan Andrews is prepared to do the same. He's supposedly in July going to jump ship, go over to New York and sit on the UN as a representative for Australia and pass off to his little bimbo bimbo woman. The thing that scares me about Dan Andrews, though, is I don't think he's actually willing to do that. He's so set on his own God complex. I wouldn't be surprised if he ran for another term and raked it in again. Even if people were eating bugs off the streets, the amount of brainwashed people in this state, they'd vote him in again in a heartbeat. He is the narcissist of all narcissists. And yet when, um, you know, a group of friends who, you know, through COVID, a lot of people started reaching out to me, asking questions about a lot of things. And and then when it come time for Andrews to, to have an election again, they got, oh, people of Victoria, they're going to railroad him out. I'm like, you you overestimate the people of Victoria. And I said, he, he'll win quite easily. And whilst, you know, whilst our system is is completely flawed and rigged worse than anyone could imagine, he only got 32% of the primary vote, but it's the system that got him back in. But how is it if you had 10 million people in Victoria, how is it 3.2 million people voted for him? Yeah, we've got a, a really weird voting system for for the Americans and those abroad that don't understand it, where Daniel Andrews, his current premier, got in for another term. He got 32% of the primary vote, yet 60% of the state didn't actively vote for him. So if you look at those two those two statistics and those percentages, you think that guy would have got nowhere near it. But we have a preference-based voting system where minor parties, the, the Greens... Um, uh, the Socialist Party, all these groups, they can filter their votes to one person that they've selected. And unfortunately, that was Dan Andrews. They backed him and he got in. And who do we see now attacking him over the budget and being left out? Those smaller parties. They helped the bastard back in and now they're, try- they're trying to point fingers at him, making out like they're the good guys. Yeah, he's spot on, mate. And, you know, the, the worst thing is when you look at the state of um, Australian politics in general right now, it's debaters running the country. There, there isn't, there isn't a single alpha male amongst them that wants to take charge and go, you know what? Fuck this shit. We're going to fix it. It's pretty we're, bad when Abbott and Howard were the actual alphas of the day, isn't it? Oh, that's, that's, that's the worst part, right? That, that's frightening. You know, if, if you were to send, you know, if we're talking medieval times and they're our, our king or whatnot, mate, we're fucked. You know, whilst, you know, you and I have had our conversations, you know, on on Donald Trump and, and our thoughts, I don't necessarily like him, but he did what he said. And you look at, you know, our little, um, you know, Alma Fudd elbow that we've got, well, it's 12 months on, and every single promise he said during the election that, that managed to get 34% of the vote, I'm still waiting on him. You know, I'm pretty sure you haven't received the $275 power rebate that we're all getting. And with interest, it's not going to be effective anyway. No, no. So, so none of that, none of that stuff is, is held accountable. So why would anyone in their right mind listen to politicians when they're never held to account? I would love nothing more than to take my cricket bat, 
The rhino elbow, I want me two fit. I want me two seventy five champ. And if I don't get it in cash, you're going to lose a kneecap. Whilst that, whilst that's very extreme, it's why can't we hold them account more? People are just happy to just let them go, and you know the state of you have the housing crisis you guys have. We have we have one ourselves in Queensland. It's it's really really bad, and we've got the federal pink and bar quarantine facility that the government won't let our Brisbane mayor access to to get people off the street, and their reasoning. Oh, it's not a really good position because it's not near public transport. It's not near facilities. The mayor's come out and said, mate, we will give you, we will put $10 million to have buses and, you know, cab fares and all of this stuff in place so people can get into a housing as running water, as shower, as electricity, all things that the renewables are against, mind you, but keeps them safe until they can find a solution to their problem. But the government want to say, no, no, we can't. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I've I've completely lost faith in, in any form of government now or any way that voting is going to solve any issue. I kind of see politicians these days, the bureaucrats, we know that they're career politicians. They join the party. They sit as um, in the office workers. They end up becoming assistants and they become backbenchers and frontbenchers and premiers and so on. They live on the gravy train their whole life. They've essentially become the new aristocracy. It doesn't matter if the opposition's in power or the or they become the opposition themselves. They've still got that money coming in. They've always oh, yeah. got a means of control. Yeah, They're not yeah. going to change anything because to change things and actually bring about what's needed, it's going to make big government irrelevant. If you fixed half the problems this country had, you would be getting rid of two-thirds of the government. Yeah, spot on. And I often have this thought of, you know, like I said, my, my pension for hatred for government is is very high. And, you know, as I mentioned to you the other day, I had some guy tell me that I wasn't a patriot because I hated my government. I'm like, hang on a minute. Patriotism is to my country and, and its people, not the frigging government that runs the country. Now, you're 100% right. People have created a job for themselves that they will never, ever be sacked from. They, they just continually ride that gravy train that they will never be sacked from and they will continue to ride it because they know that no one is going to come in and pull them down from the white horse they're supposedly riding and pistol whip them. Is it not then the Hegelian dialectic kind of at play where these two supposed opposition or these two different teams, these two sides, these two parties, they're actually in cahoots the whole time and they take turns in who's going to be in power because you create the problem of, oh, the previous government created so much debt, now we have to pay it off. Now we have to put these people out of work. And then the opposition stands up and goes, that's not good enough. When we get voted back in, we'll put people back in work. They're creating the problem and the solution. The only way it keeps going is people keep falling for it. Like, I don't quite understand, even when I was a person who thought voting could solve the problem, was how there could be such a large percentage of Australians who were undecided on things. Now, this might just be my own echo chamber, but the way I've grown up is my moral compass and my values 
hasn't really wavered or differed too much in my life. I can take on board different ideas and different perspectives and change my thinking on things. But overall, my thought process on how the world should be run or the way I'd like it to be run or the way people interact with each other, that hasn't wavered. So for people to flip-flop between two opposing sides so often, that really worries me. Yeah, it, it's, it shows that people, and I'm not going to label all people this, and I, I don't mean to label people, but for people to be so easy manipulated by something a guy in a suit tells them is, you know, I, I look at my parents, for example. So my parents grew up, um, you know, working man, you know, not in business, and so in Queensland, traditionally, you voted Labor. Now, as I was a kid, you, you learn that sort of things. Oh, yeah, we've well, got to vote Labor when I get older. And as I did when I first turned 18, I was, yep, got to vote Labor for the working man. But then, you you know, my curiosity is always, why do I do that? I'm forever asking the why question. I'm like, why are we voting for Labor? Well, because they're for the working man. And when I asked my grandfather this once, he was he was dumbfounded that I was thinking of voting for someone else. I said, well, why? He said, well, you know, Labor parties are the work in me. I said, yeah, but you're still not rich. So why would you keep voting for someone that continually makes sure that you're not rich? Oh, because I don't want the other guy to get rich. I'm like, well, that's just bullshit. So, so you know, it, it's generational where that's what you've been told. So now when I talk to my parents, the last election, they're going to, who are you voting for? I said, look, to be fair, I would love to not vote at all. But, you know, we kind of stuck Drew at the point where it's the system we've got. Until we can burn it all down and start fresh, we have to kind of play in it. As much as, you know, both you and I hate having to say that, we kind of stuck having to play in that in that area where, okay, I voted for... You know, my local guy, I voted for um, Liberal guy because I went and did a lot of research on what he'd done and what has been going on in my local area. Shit, we've got, he's done good things, okay? I think I'll give him another crack. And when you went for the, the, the federal higher levels, well, I voted for One Nation. I've never voted for One Nation before, but I voted for them on principle of what they were for and the fact that they will hold the, the government to account in one way or another. Now, maybe not the, the smartest idea, but my whole thing is holding people to account. If you say you're going to do it, do it. So my reasoning was, was that and that alone. Now, other people did for various different things, but when people are now starting to ask, oh, who are you voting for? They actually... Well, they're looking for a different option, but don't know any better, so they'll just go with who they've always gone. Would, yeah, you, would you see that a lot? I do. Um, and the unfortunate thing in Australia is that we don't have the option of not voting. We have a system where we, we have to vote. And I think if voting wasn't compulsory, we'd see a big shift in who votes for who and, and what's actually happening. Um, unfortunately, the biggest thing I saw, particularly in the state election, was that People voted on one thing, and usually it was Dan was offering a one-off payment for energy. Dan said he's going to pay 250 bucks for your energy bills. People voted just on that alone. 
They literally mm. sold their vote for 250 bucks. That doesn't, doesn't take into account that he's completely stuffed the economy, that potentially your grandkids are going to be paying the debt off, that the big build projects that are, were promised for all these tradies are now starting to be knocked on the head or, or put on pause. So all these tradies and union guys from the CFMU who were told to vote for him are potentially out of jobs. But people voted on small little ideas like a $250 payment. Mate, it, it's, you know, that that's that's kind of funny considering, you know, the meme I put on my story the other day that got a few likes where the cheese, the mice in the mousetrap doesn't understand why the cheese is free. You know, they, they people thought, oh, I'm going to get a $250 quick cash injection here for me power. Yeah, but that $250, that's another debt that goes to the state. Like, I get it. the The appeal of it is is helps me right now. What happens when your power bill comes in another three months? You you nothing's nothing has fundamentally changed to help your power bill in time. You've just got a band aid that makes you feel good now. That I can guarantee you, most of those people wouldn't have paid off power anyway. They would Not have gone all. would have gone to a casino or bought some shoes or you know. Which let's be honest. You and I have probably done that numerous times in the past. I'm guilty of it. But, you know, just don't understand why the cheese is free. Socialism in a nutshell, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And it makes it very hard to, to move on to anything else, doesn't it? Very much so. It's, it was a similar thing with Kevin Rudd, one of our previous prime ministers in Australia. He gave out a $500 payment to stop the global recession from hitting Australia, to boost investment in in what was going on. Well, Australia was kind of isolated from that anyway. Australia has so much investment in China and Southeast Asia and our part of the world that we were almost like a, a lifeboat. What was happening in Europe and North America really on paper wasn't really going to affect us. So essentially what he did was he gave people money to to warrant votes and it worked really well. And now we're still seeing that. We're seeing labour in state levels $250 energy bonuses, um, bonuses for housing, all this type of stuff just to keep people going. And that's the cheese we're talking about in that analogy, that the people think that the handouts are always going to be there. And the system that we're built on, it can't be sus- complete growth and never-ending growth in our financial system. It's not sustainable. Eventually, it's going to run out. You can't keep growing. At some point, you have to stop and knock the house down, burn the wood, rebuild it again. It's a system that can't keep be, keep going on never-ending growth. Oh, without a doubt. And a lot of that, I think, is, is you know, our mentality has to change as a whole. Um, you know, because if you look at, um, you know, there was an incident here in Queensland the last few weeks. And it's been going on for a while. There was a, a young girl who got into, you know, the Nangs. The, the nitrous bottles. And when she was really crook and, you know, all this sort of problems, the parents come out and said, why isn't the government doing more to stop this? It's like, well, at what point do you take it on to yourself? Say, hey, that's my kid. Why didn't I sort this shit out? You know, and then you look at, I look at another one. There was a, a story on 60 Minutes um, on Sunday night about scammers. You know, and we see it all the time. You know, this one lady lost $400,000, and I feel, I, I feel for her. She said, oh, you know, the government, 
there needs to be more laws and more stringent things put in place. At what point do people sit back and go, hey, Jesus, I fucked up here. I've just given them $400,000. This is on me, not the government. You know, we've become so dependent on the government that they even want the government to fix the problems that they have themselves. And they've trained society to think in a way that you have to always be kind and caring about situations like the housing crisis in Victoria where we've had 14 consecutive interest rate rises, right? And if you're in that kind of economic situation, maybe putting 20 grand on building a brand new house when there's been four to five building contractors go under isn't the best idea. Mm. So all these people that drop 20 grand as a deposit onto a, a brand new house build to only find out that the company they were building with has gone into liquidation, I suddenly put their hands out to the government and are saying, we need our money back because we're not insured for it. We signed a legal document that doesn't protect us. We want the money. There was no one on the news, no one saying to these people, you made a shit choice. You really should have investigated that better yourself, researched it, and maybe toughed it out for another year. I know it's hard not having your own house, but maybe you should save it a little bit longer. Oh, people are just looking for the easy answer. The easy answer is big daddy government to bail them out. Yeah, and they want someone to come and and save them. You know, like we talk about this a lot where they're wanting and they're waiting for someone to come and save them. Well, you know, why don't you do your own due diligence? You know, you don't have to call it research. Like, feel like you're a freaking conspiracy nut, but (laughs) due diligence. Check the backing on the, the company. Check things out, like with the scam angle. I've had two scam phone calls in the last two days. And every time they come up, it comes up from an Australian number, and they go, oh, you're having you're having very bad internet hacking right at this moment. Like, wow, that seems funny because I'm literally sitting on my computer. Oh, we need you to log in. No, mate, bye. Like, at what point do you look at that and go, nah, this ain't right? Like, at, at what red flag triggers people to make their own diligent decision that goes something's off. Unfortunately, I think that this must be a level of, I've said it before in other podcasts, it's the thirds analogy. There's one third of the population which can think for itself and go out and do its own thing. Then there's two thirds of the population that need to be told what to do. The issue is, I think a lot of people feel, definitely they must fall into that two thirds because it's the larger of the fraction, right? So you get people who get an email from an email air quotes from a antivirus protection company like Norton or something like that. Um, Your computer has been under attack and we need $450 US to get rid of the virus. How many people fall for that shit though? Like how, how are people so ignorant and so incapable of thinking deeper about something like that? Well, you even you even look at that scenario. That's uh, fear driven. It's how easy is people to go? Oh shit, my computer's under attack. Oh, they're going to get access to all my shit. Oh, I'm frightened of that. Oh, just let's just do it. Like no sitting back and hang on a minute. You want me to pay you U.S. dollars for something that I already have, and it's not causing me any dramas at the minute. You know, that, that, you know, discernment to sit back and, and go, hang on, let me ask questions around this instead of, oh shit, I don't want to lose my shit. Let's just pay the 450 bucks. 
Like, whoa, come on. Come on, guys. You know, and I think I think too many people have become very um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Come on, mate, you're the teacher. <laughs> reliant? Uh, very, yeah, very reliant and, you know, really lackadaisy about that thing and think that everything everywhere is trying to help them. It, it just – it begs the question of, of people's thought process at times. It's almost like a complete lack of resilience and a sense of self-responsibility about anything. There's always someone else to help you. Someone's going to save the day. I can't solve the problem myself. <laughs> talking, about, sure. talking about these prank calls, I've got a little game I play called the dictionary. And when these people call up and they start to ask questions, I'll just open up the dictionary, then see how far into it I can get, how many words I can get through reading. My current... Yeah goal although the current record is i've got 36 words in before they hang up on me oh wow that's hilarious what's your that go-to what what do you, do you just hang up on these people or do you try to take them for a ride mate i'm i'm brutal so it's just basically i give them a spray and hang up <laughs> um now I, i've had i've had so many different ones like i've had a friend who they rang him and he's yep okay sweet i'll, I'll go and get my dad and he's hung up Oh, not hung up. He's put the phone down and come back 15 minutes later. They're still there. He just he just went away and come back. Oh, are you still here and hung up? <laughs> you know, like, you also look at that. It's like, are you guys serious? Like, you're going to hang on this phone call that long and not hear anything from anyone? So, you know, I, I tell you what, but I, I am going to try that game. That's like a lot of fun, even for myself to listen. It is really good. It's, it's surprising how long these people will hang on the line for. It's And ironically, and I'm not pointing fingers at any demographic, but it tends to be a lot of Indian or Southeast Asian um, types of call centres that I would say are doing this. And yeah, it's, it's really the Mumbai call centre. Yeah, it's definitely, and it, it's set up that if you, there's sometimes you'll get a link for a Zoom call, right, for these people, and you hook the, the Zoom up and you can give them, they'll send you a link to have access to your computer remotely from where they are. And if you set that up, they just strip your computer completely clean. I saw this guy online who did the same thing, but didn't give them the the authority to access his computer. And he reversed the VPN and found exactly where they were, typed in their address, um, got the, the, the names of all the people that worked there. And then he started calling them out and said, I'm going to start doxing you in your own town. Wow. Going to report you to all your local authorities, and they shut down the the link pretty quickly. Wow, that's so, you know some people are very clever to be able to do that. I, I I couldn't, like I said, I'm just I'm just brutal to basically tell them to fuck off and then hang up. <laughs> that's just which you got just, to do sometimes, mate. I just give them a spray and then hang up. So on their on their way out, they cop an absolute barrelful, and then oh okay, maybe you won't ring this guy again. So that's that's my strategy. There's been something I'm meaning to ask you as a Queenslander. There's a lot of youth crime going on up where you are, and there's been a lot of stuff going on with police, particularly with the the religious-motivated terrorist killings. What's the feeling of police like up the top end? In Victoria, I'd say 80% of the population don't trust the police anymore. Has it gone complete opposite in Queensland? Do they feel like they they can trust the police, but they're not getting the resources to deal with crime, or 
what's the feeling like up there now? Mate, the, the youth crime thing is it's everywhere and right across the state. It's not even just in pockets. Um, the, the trust in the police, to be honest, I don't think changed a hell of a lot from the COVID era with all the shit we went through. It hasn't changed a lot here. Um, people still love and believe in the police. I'm not against them. I just don't believe they should be servants to the state. Um, the youth crime thing's out of control here. We had a, a friend a couple of blocks around the road got bashed by three guys and, and really messed up his face. Yet no one seems to be able to to do anything about it. They're, they're not chasing these kids down. Um you know, and yet all we hear from our governments is oh, it's a really complex issue. You know, it's not it's not as easy as you, you catch them and you slap some handcuffs on them and, and off you go. And I'm thinking, well, how? How is that not the case? So there's kids running around stealing cars everywhere in, in our neighbourhood where there's no consequence. Like, they know they're not getting caught. It's It's... They, they can do kind of what they want because no one's going to catch them. And even when they catch them, slap on the wrist and back off they go. It's at, at some point, someone's going to grab a hold of one of these kids and flog them with a cricket bat and they will be the bad guy and they will get rinsed and they will go to jail and this kid will be made a martyr of. It's, it's, um... it's, it's coming. I can see that people have just had enough. And the problem being, like, Australia's got a very, very strange system when it comes to self-defence and um, fortress or castle laws. We don't have that in Australia. Your property, you you may, air quotes, own your property. It may be yours. But if you try to defend yourself from someone, you'd like you said, give someone a good dust up because they've uh, tried to steal your car or they've busted into your house. A lot of the time, you're the one that's going to be charged for, like, grievous bodily harm or for assault what have you. So that Australians are really apprehensive to do this, but with it being such a, a big thing at the moment, people are getting pissed off and it's going to drive someone over the edge, like you said. But there's even an issue of, it's happening in Victoria too, particularly in my area where there's gangs of young kids that are generally coming down from Melbourne and they're stealing cars from down here because they're not known. They're not known in the area. So they pinch the car and they bugger off. Well, there's been some local kids that have been brought into this type of air quotes gang and they've been seen trying people's doors through um, security cam footage and all sorts of stuff. Well, a lot of these kids are known and they're well known in such a small town. And there's been the case where one person got a really good look at this kid. It's very clear who they are. They publicly named and shamed the kid and, and went out, reached out to the parents and said, you know, you've got to give your kid a, a stung ass, like teach them what's right and what's wrong or they're going to get themselves into trouble. So I'm going to go out there and deck them. And this parent was absolutely hounded by the police. Like, you can't put a kid's face up on the internet. You're causing vigilantism. You're going to be in trouble if this kid um, encounters any kind of physical harm. Take it down immediately. So we can't even name and shame people who are acting poorly in, in our society, which is funny because politicians and celebrities, they love to name and shame people in the political limelight or people that they deem are doing the wrong thing, and they don't have the same repercussions. Yeah, it's, and you know, by by naming and shaming, as you said, what that parent did, if you look at it from a logical standpoint of what we were just saying, 
Dave, save that kid an absolute ass whooping from some 28-year-old who's got his first home, who's just bought a brand-new ute, said, nah, I've had enough. He, They really have, because if this kid's then on the radar from the police, well, mate, you've just saved yourself an ass whooping. So there was a similar sort of thing. There was a couple of kids down further down the Gold Coast where I live where they broke into this home. This guy's an Australian champion boxer. He's he's chased them out of the house. They were shitting themselves, and he's chased them out of the house in his boxes in the early morning, and he got hold of one kid being a boxer. He knows that, you know, if I start touching this kid up, this kid's going to end up in lots and lots of trouble. Well, these kids knew that, oh, geez, we picked the wrong house here. So, but if he, if he flogs the crap out of that kid, he's the one that's going to be in trouble. It's it's not a it's not a, a a right system, but I tell you what, people have had enough. They have, and I've, I've I think about it two kind of ways. It's um, I can understand the argument that you know if the the system isn't going to do something about these kids and charge them or do something about them in regards to their crimes, maybe we should be targeting the parents. Unfortunately, it's not always the parents' issue. Sometimes you have kids that just go off the rails, and through all the work parents do. They can't get their kid to come around. I understand that. But what really worries me about it is these situations tend to create knee-jerk reactions in which the government puts something in place that doesn't actually target the issue at hand. It ends up targeting the entire population in a negative way. Do you foresee any possible way that the Queensland government could bring in laws that would actually be detrimental in long term? Oh, for sure. I I haven't... I haven't yet seen a government anywhere in Australia put in a law that has been beneficial for anyone. It's a it's a strange time to be alive because it seems like we're the most knowledgeable people that have ever been in history. We have access to everything straight away. We've got all the answers at our fingertips, but the governments don't seem to have the answers at all when the average person can seem to find it in under like two minutes with a quick Google search. Not to say that Google's the answer to everything, but you can solve a lot of issues yourself now. So what's the point of big government anymore? Well, and and I agree with you, Drew. It's I'm all for smaller government. You know, you you, you take away half the, the shit that they have. Like you have departments just issuing permits to have a food truck like okay well that's great but you have a permit to have a food truck surely you don't need an entire department for things like that you know you you could scale back a host of of big government and you probably bring it back to realistically a third or even a quarter of the size if you just made policy simpler, more logical, and more realistic. You know, policies that they bring in for a host of different things are so convoluted, well, what does it actually do? Like, you genuinely have to ask, what is that meant for? Because there's no logical standpoint that it provides any benefit anywhere to anyone. So what is it for? I think (laughs) that definitely just springs to mind local governments. The power that local councillors have is just 
ridiculous. And you, I always remember my dad complaining about how much rates would cost and how much is being spent and where it's all going to. I never thought anything of it until you become a rate payer yourself. And you can't help but recognize how much control, bureaucracy, and wasted time and energy happens within local councils. Oh, and you see it yourself on your, your local news. The bickering and shit that goes on, like our local council down here, had a huge issue because the 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 mayor decided that he wanted to change his spiritual uh, enlightenment. So he spent a couple of hundreds of thousands of dollars creating a worship room in the council building. Like, are you serious? Go, go and do that behind a tree at the back, man. I don't give a shit who you worship. But how is it my tax dollars or my rates have got to go to you creating a room so you can sit in and feel comfortable? You know, at, at what point do local governments or any government for that matter have the power to do as they please with our tax dollars? We You, you look at um, old Scotty, Scotty from Marketing last year, signed a deal, $800 million for Antarctica to give them 800 million bucks. $800 million for what? For a place that none of us are legally allowed to go? What the fuck? And, the, you know, the same thing could be said for, like, wars now, especially Ukraine. Why is Australia sending our Bushmasters, our coveted technology, hands down one of the best armoured personnel carriers in the world, and we're just sending them off to get blown up? And we're sending off millions of dollars, even though our country's in huge amounts of debt for the size of our population. Why are we allowing this to happen on such a grandiose scale as a people? I don't understand how people aren't actively pissed off all the time about it. Yeah, well, you know, we look at things that we were talking about earlier for the, the waste of funding for the renewables and stuff. All of that sort of stuff, if we stopped wasting that money, Australia becomes super wealthy. Now, the the Bushmasters are getting destroyed overseas. You know, we've given $800 million to Antarctica. What fucking government in Antarctica, I don't know. But then you have, you know, over the last five years, I think we've given $3 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So at what point with all of that, if you're looking at it and going, okay, no. They're definitely not trying to bankrupt the country or waste their money or give their money away. They're definitely not trying to do that. But if they were, how would you do it different? At bare minimum, and this is giving them a lot of leeway, at bare minimum, it's money laundering. It's got to be. Like the the, um, University of Melbourne and Hobart have a joint operation where they've been actively trying to clone the Tasmanian tiger for the past 30 years and hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into it. And there's no updates. It's, yeah, we're trying to do it. Not, oh, we've got it to blastoma stage or we've um, managed to break down the the DNA helixes to make them acceptable into like a Tasmanian devil. None of that's actively happening. It's just getting money and it's not going anywhere. So at a very base level, it's money laundering, but God knows what the real reasons are. Well, that that's exactly right. If you, you know, if if you weren't thinking about it, you would go, well, shit, that is money laundering. But no, pe- people put a, a something to it. Oh, you know, it's beneficial to humanity to bring back the Tasmanian devil. On what planet? 
you know, we've been without it for how long now? You know, we realistically, to be honest, we don't know the impacts it's had on wildlife and fauna and whatnot, but nothing drastic has come of it, and yet they've wasted hundreds of millions of dollars trying to bring it back. Okay, uh, I can't find the logic or sanity in that decision, but you explain to me what benefit it, it has to people. Because at this point, fuck the vino. If we think about it like the way you'd hold a builder or a small business to account, if they offered you a product and that product wasn't what it was supposed to be, you'd take them to the ACCC or to the ombudsman, wouldn't you? No one's holding governments to account. They're actively, essentially, they're selling you votes based off their promises during election time. If they're not actively following through or at least attempting to make those changes, have they not committed fraud by selling you a product that they're not actually going to follow up on through, follow on through? And, and at least attempt to do? Yeah, well, spot on. Because, you know, if, if I don't know, you pick a product on TV and if it doesn't do what it says, you can take them for false advertising. How is it we can't take the government for false advertising when, yep, you're going to get a $275 rebate in your power bill? Righto? We're literally, I think we're two days past 12 months gone. Still haven't seen it. When do we when do we get to take you through for false advertising? You know that there is no account for government anymore. Well, I say anymore, but that was back in the Wild West when you could take them out and pistol with them. <laughs> you know we we can't do that anymore, and everyone's just quite happy to let them go until you know even people that are losing their houses now aren't that up in arms that they want to you know string someone up on the courthouse lawn. They're just oh, I've got to find a tent and camp somewhere. Like at what point do at what point do people snap? I think it's definitely coming. Like we're population wise for the size of our country, we're quite small in our population, and for the amount of change which is happening so quickly economically, socially, I don't think it's going anywhere pretty anytime soon. And I think it's going to get to a point where the masses of people, the disenfranchised, the poor, poverty-stricken, those people are going to realise that the handouts aren't coming anymore or they'll be just so disenfranchised the way the system is. They're going to snap. And whether that's been engineered as a long-term goal anyway, I don't know. I just find it very strange that there's specific laws around threatening politicians' lives. If it's an empty threat, what's really, what's the issue? Politicians should be scared. They should be going out every single day trying to do the best for their constituents. And honestly, I don't see it happening. No, I, I'm with you on that one. I, you know, they've got laws and everything to protect themselves. But at this point, from what? You know, what, what group of people are going to go out there and walk into Parliament, pull a host of them out there, and, you know, whip them in, in the middle of Brisbane. You know, that, that's not happening. You know, people have changed, you know, I'm going to kind of say for the better, but that's not, that's not happening anymore. So they put these safeguards in place to protect themselves because that literally is a fear that, hey, if the people do actually wake up and decide that, you know, we've had enough of these guys, well, then it's over but they've disenfranchised people that much. I don't see that ever coming. I really don't. 
because you just have to look at how it played out through COVID and what they did to people. The people turned around and voted Dan Andrews back in. You know, it's Stockholm syndrome. Syndrome was huge through the pandemic. They were they were so in love with their captors that it was just oh, you know, I'm so glad you're you're looking after me, even though even though you had five coppers come and and arrest me at my house because I didn't wear a mask into Woolworths. That I don't know is I don't think it's ever going to change. No, and I think the only way it will ever change is if there is some kind of a a cataclysmic event where, let's say, the power grid's knocked out by an EMP or a solar flare like a Carrington event. It would take something like that to happen because very quickly the people would realise that the languisites, the politicians, the people that use their words to mooch off society like the parasites they are, what are they actually doing? Their words don't actually do anything for you. You need real tangible food on the table and little digital ones and zeros in a bank ledger aren't going to do it for you in a world that doesn't have that anymore. And I think it would take something massive like that. It'd have to have a reset situation for people to realise what's a priority in society and who's actually there to help them and not. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I think of uh, something of that size and nature is probably what's needed to to reset people's mindset, to be honest. Because a lot of those people, um, you know, and, and, and I talk to I talk to a lot of people about this is where they so oh, you know, why are they not pissed off at this? Because it's not it's not something that they think they can fix right now at the forefront. And it's like, oh, you know, we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to get through this period. Get through this period and hope the next one's better. Until something drastic and immeasurable happens, I don't think that's gonna change anytime soon. And you, you look at people out there talking about, you know, the great reset and all that kind of crap. It really needs to be from people, not the other way around, not to people. It needs to be from people. Yeah, and that's very much the way it's been pitched with the Agenda 2030, Agenda 2050. It's the fourth industrial revolution where they're changing us to suit what they want. It's not the other way around. It hasn't been an organic level from the people where... In the Industrial Revolution, that was people developing the technology themselves and putting it in the open market. Now it's the market dictating to us what they want us to be. And that's not a genuine change to society or a way forward. It's Like you said, it has to come from a grassroots level, which, like you said as well, I don't think is is possible in the current system where people are so reliant on the cheese from the government. Oh, without doubt. Without doubt, they they have they built it this way and got to the point where they have become so reliant on the cheese that okay, what have I got to do to to make sure that keeps coming? Instead of how can I make my own? You know, like and to be fair, you and I are both in that that position as well. But at some point, we go well. We can make our own decisions about certain shit. We don't need their help. But most people have have so hopelessly devoted to what the government gives them, they don't see it they don't see it as an issue. And it, it it may very well not be an issue. But at some point when the government changes the size of that block of cheese to half and they go, Whoa, hang on. I was getting I was getting a kilo of cheese last time. Now you're gonna get me half a kilo. What's going on? Until that when that happens, 
at that point they'll start and go, holy shit. And even then I don't think anything happens. Yeah, I think by the time they start doing that, I think they've got the infrastructure set in where they've got CBDCs and they've got constant surveillance, social credit systems to the point where it'll be that fear factor of, you know, we can make it 250 grams of cheese if you keep talking. If you if you think this is bad, we'll make it worse for you. Oh, mate, and with the amount of bans that I cop on Facebook, <laughs> I will literally have no cheese. I'll be, that, I'll be that first frigging guy, no cheese, because, hang on, on this date, did you say fuck the government? Yeah, damn straight I did. Well, no cheese for you. Okay, righto. We'll end up in one of those well-being camps in the future because they'll go retrospectively through our social media and hit us for every single meme we've put up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're in trouble. You and I are in trouble. All right, let's try and let's try and finish on a positive note. Like we've got these issues that we kind of foresee, and what's what's wrong with the way people approach the world. What are some things that people can do to make them less reliant on the cheese? Mate, talk. the The conversation between people has stopped. It has openly stopped between. Hey, listen, what do you do? You know, I do this. Oh, shit. Well, if I did this, could you help me? Yeah, sweet. People don't talk to other people anymore about real issues. Like, even when I bring certain things up with my oldies, my dad simply says, I don't want to hear it because I can't do anything about it. I'm like, well, how are you going to tell that to your grandkids, mate? He said, yeah, I get it. I get it. But how am I, go- how am I going to do anything about it? We'll talk, mate. Just talk about it, converse about it. You know, I find after the pandemic, people are are asking a lot more questions. And, you know, the the funny thing, there's a funny meme out there. Get yourself a conspiracy theorist friend because you're going to need it for the next part. That's <laughs> that's a genuine thing where I have people who would never have asked me questions about things before say, hey, I read this. What do you know about it? And instead of trying to absolutely jam the red pill down their throat, you can only breach it at, at small sections and go, hey, listen, you probably need to just look a bit further into this and just, you know, work out how do we how do we fix this part? And then you find people starting, you find people come up with different ways and better ways to do things that they actually realise they could do. It, you know, whilst we've sat here and doom and gloom about, you know, people's mentalities and whatnot, people are the answer. They are. And I think that they've kind of set the topic of conversation really well. Like, how many times do you hear in your life, we don't talk about religion or politics at the dinner table? That's the exact place you should be talking about it. If you can't talk about it in a family setting and, and challenge or question each other's ideas and try to understand the world more, what are you going to talk about in public? What are you going to talk about with the guy on the bus, the guy on the train, the co-workers? That's where talking is so important. You've absolutely nailed it on the head there where if these conversations don't happen, like your, your old man's go to, what am I going to do about it? If he talks about it, someone else is going to talk about it. And it's going to have that flow on effect where you could potentially have the majority of the population talking about it. Then people start to take notice. And when people are taking notice, that's when real change happens. Well, it's, it's, you've, you come up with uh, people talking, you go, well, okay, how do we get rid of this government thing? Well, then all of a sudden people start thinking about the solution, not just the problem. So, but you get people 
um, talk and argue now, and I'm guilty of it. I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie, I'm guilty of it. At times, I I talk to prove people wrong because that I know for a fact that info that I have is right, and I'm I'm very guilty of it, and I'm conscious of it. Doesn't stop me doing it, but if you can have a civil conversation with someone about it and explain all your points of view, then you can say, well, okay, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see your point of view. You find that people have a better understanding of each other as well. Wade, that is far too level-headed and common sense approach to life that you're coming up with. (laughs) You're not dividing people. You're not putting people in camps. So we can't go with that thinking. We'll have to go with something else. Wade, this has been a fantastic conversation, mate. We're going to have to do this again. It was fantastic to actually talk to you in person. Um, Yeah, let's do this one more time if we can, if not many times. Uh, Any last thoughts for the listeners? Mate, just talk to people. You, You find out people know a lot more than you give them credit for. Just talk to people. Absolutely. Go out there, have a conversation. I think that's the most beneficial thing about starting a podcast is initially it started for just wanting to talk to people that I wanted to hear about, that that self-confessed echo chamber. But now I'm being exposed to people and chatting to people that I wouldn't have listened to on a podcast 12 months ago. I'm starting to talk and listen to listeners who have got completely different perspectives. And that's what this is all about. If you're a listener and want to jump on board and have a conversation, hit me up on Gmail at drewmisson 88 gmail.com or you can reach out to me on my instagram i am heavily shadow banned at the moment i'm not sure if you'll find me the link will be in the show notes for this episode but thanks for listening everyone thanks wade and i'll catch you next time thanks drew really appreciate it thanks mate hey everybody it's closing time you don't gotta go home but you can't stay here